You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. This morning we are in Acts. Uh, we've been going, we started the book of Acts, and I do believe that the book of Acts is not something to tell us uh, what things were like, and that's really cool, so let's all live in nostalgia, but I think it's something that tells the church what the church is supposed to look like. It's the, the beginnings of the church, and I don't believe it was supposed to end. I believe that the book of Acts is still supposed to be in our lives and in the lives of believers today. Um, so we've been going through this, and now we are in chapter 3, and we're going to get through chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we won't read every verse, but we'll, we'll look at it here this morning. Chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the one in front of you is yours to keep, um, or you can just read on the screen. That's also available as well. Uh, Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, and asked alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, look, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So let me, let me, let me explain a little bit here what's happening. This is, this is an incredible moment. Did you, ever, um, did you ever get more than you expected, whether it was for like a birthday or something? You show up and you expect something. But then all of a sudden, you get way, way more than you expected. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever seen those videos? They're all over YouTube, or not YouTube, Facebook. Every, it's like every day I find one where there's some kid in a high school or there's some family at like a hockey arena or they're throwing out the first pitch and they're there and everybody's watching and all of a sudden their dad, who's been in the military for like seven years, shows up behind them or he takes off the, the mascot's head and it's him or he's the catcher. You guys have seen those videos, right? Like, at this point, I've seen so many of them. If I ever get asked to, like, throw the first pitch, I'm instantly going, who do I have in the army? Anybody around me? Like, but, like, those kids, though, the first time you see it, they're not expecting their dad or their loved one to show up. And so they're just thinking, I'm here for a game. I'm here for this moment. Uh, I've seen the ones where they're in high school or in middle school. The kid's, like, at a spelling bee or something like that. And all of a sudden, their dad pops up. Like, he's one of the judges. Like, you get more than you expected all of a sudden. And here's what happens in this passage. You have a lame man who's been lame since birth, it says. And he's been sitting at that same spot for years. This is not a guy who just one day decided, I could use some money right now. I'm crippled. Let's sit at this gate. It says that they dropped him off. And at the end of this passage, we see that the people who saw him leaping, they knew him. They knew who he was. That's the same guy who sits in front of the gate all the time. This is a guy who's been crippled forever sitting there, and he's always asking for money. That's alms, in case you didn't know what alms were. Please, feed me. Give me some money. It's like walking in New York, you see beggars all the time. Walking in any city, you see beggars. And the truth is, most of them are there at the same spot every day, and they ask every person 
for the same thing. This was not a unique moment for this man. He was there all the time. He had asked the same question to every person he has seen for years. And I love, I, I love we got to get this in, in our head. This, his brokenness, this was his way of life. This was every day for him. This was what he's done all the time. This was his system. This was what worked for him. His friends drop him off. He asks for money. They pick him back up. He goes home. Do the same thing again tomorrow. This wasn't a guy asking to be healed. This wasn't a guy asking for his life to be changed. He wasn't asking for this. And I love, I love this. We, we sometimes miss this in the, in the translation, and I, I actually missed it a lot. And I was reading another translation where it says, Peter, verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him and did John. It's basically what happens, and we miss this. It's like they're walking. This is the way we picture it in our head. They're walking. A guy asks for money. And he's broken, and Peter and John look at him and go, no, I don't have money, but I do have this. And instantly they give him this thing. But the actual understanding of the text is more like Peter and John are walking, the guy asks, and they stop, and they just start staring at him. Like, there, there's an intense moment. You, you ever have that where, like, you're driving your car, and you look over at the guy beside you, and he ha- happens to look right into your eyes, and then into your soul, and you feel like putting it in reverse? Like, what just happened? That was weird. Don't look at me. You, you know what I'm saying? That awkward, like, stare, staring moment. Like, what, what just happened? You ever, you ever, this happens to me, unfortunately, all the time, where I'll see somebody, like, that I don't know, but they're looking at me, and they'll do this or something, or like a head nod, or they'll start to say something, and I'll go, I don't know you. And I realize they're talking to the person, beside, like, they wave at this guy over here. Like, everybody in here has been through that, haven't we? We've all done that thing. The worst, I was, I was taking, um, I was going to, um, Haley had this thing at school, her, her elementary school, and Ash and I, we had went there, and we were all, all the parents were coming out, and other parents from the other class were coming in, and all of a sudden, this very tall guy comes up, and he, like, puts his arm around Ashley and says something, and, like, she, like, looks up at him, because she saw me over here, and then he realized, this is not my wife, like, <laughs> I've, I've been there, too. I've, I've done that. Like, in the shop, in the, in the mall, you're like, hey, uh, babe, I think we need this. Well, I don't think I need this. <laughs> We've all been through that awkward moment. Like, let's, let's, let's not pretend. We haven't been on both ends of that thing, you know? It's that weird stare down. Like, what has just happened to me? It says they see him, and then they intently get gla- uh, glare at him. They intently look at him for this moment of time, and then they say to him, hey, look into our eyes. Like, it's almost like I can picture the, the beggar. He's been through this a hundred times. Hey, can you give me some money? Please, some alms. Please, some alms. And all of a sudden, Peter stops and they just look at him, and he's like, just like looking at his hands. Like, what, what should I do now? I don't know what to do. This isn't, this isn't the normal response here. Somebody's staring at me. They, they look at him with this intense stare down, and it's awkward. Here's what I think really happened in this moment. They're going into the temple for prayer. They had just been filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told them the mission to go and make disciples, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel. They had heard this. They're waiting for it. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter explains what happened. Thousands come to faith in Christ. The next thing we see, they're they're praying, they're, they're being the church together, and they're on their way to prayer, and all of a sudden, here's the first moment the mission is now allowed to take place 
in a real practical way. And Peter, all of a sudden, he hadn't done this before. And he sees this guy and he's thinking. He's hearing the Holy Spirit speak. He's hearing Jesus in his heart. This is your mission. This is your mission. Go heal the sick. Go preach the gospel. And I feel like at this moment, Peter's looking at this guy thinking, do I do this? Do I, do I say this? John, what do you think? Hey, look at us. Look at us right here. And then all of a sudden they said, they realize Jesus said, this is what I'm for. This is all that I'm about. I don't have gold. I don't have silver. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He recognized and he believed that he had life in him that Christ told him he would have. He had just experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, and now he believed it. And he's like, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. There was this real moment of like hesitation and thinking. I think sometimes we make the apostles into these like magical men who float around just healing everybody with no doubts, no questions, no wondering. No, this is Peter. This is the one who denied Christ. This is Peter who was very aggressive. This is Peter who was all about Peter. And then he experiences the Holy Spirit. And there's this moment of like, this is it. This is what he, th- now I get what I'm supposed to do. Jesus has ascended. He's given me a mission. His spirit's poured out. Here he is. He recognized that any authority he had, though, came from Jesus. It wasn't Peter's own thing. Finally, for the first time, Peter realizes it's not about Peter. It's not about his mission. It's not about what he would rather do. Because he was on his way to the temple. He's ready to go pray. He's not thinking about this man. But all of a sudden, it's stirred up in his heart, and he realizes this is what I do. Peter heals this guy through, through Jesus. Jesus heals him through Peter. Let's say it that way. That's better. Verse 7 through 8, or through 10. Let's look at this one more time. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping. And here's the thing, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who had sat by the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just happened to him. When Peter heals somebody here in this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit, the first instinct of this man is to begin to praise God. And he does it in the temple, he does it everywhere, and the people in the temple see who this guy was, and they begin to be filled with awe and wonder. His life is is, is rocked, their life is rocked. Wait, what just happened? That guy that we see every day, that guy who's been crippled, From the time he was born, now he's jumping around and singing God's praise. See, healing, and I'll I'll talk about this in a little bit, healing always, is always about glorifying God and our Creator, bringing unbelievers to belief. Peter recognized that right away. It's not about me. Let's look at the rest of this text, starting in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, they ran together to them at the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw He addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, 
whom you delivered over to denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are his witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, thus was fulfilled. And then he goes on to speak about the prophets being fulfilled through this. He basically, verse 19, I want to read this. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the Holy Prophets long ago. Peter immediately, he sees people start to see, they see what happened here and they immediately begin to look at Peter and John. Like, what did you guys just do? What, what was that about? And Peter, Peter, which shocks me, his first response is, don't look at me. It wasn't me. Why do you stare at us? It was God through Jesus, the one that you crucified, the one that you denied. Let me show you how you can repent, and then you can have all things made new. I love that he talks, repent, turn back. That's the hard part we don't like to talk about. In church, we don't like talking about repentance because it scares us. We don't like to admit that we're wrong. We don't like to admit that we've got things messed up. We don't like that. But repentance, and I love this, leads back to refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. Peter is able to say to that group of people who are looking at him, and Peter could have at that time been like, I know, that was pretty cool. That was me. That was, I, I don't know what happened. I just, I just said, hey, I got this. In Jesus' name, do it. <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of people who want the healing as their gift in their life. Like this, we believe in the spiritual gifts here at, at City Lights. We believe that God interacts through people in the miraculous and I believe like, there's a lot of people who want the healing gifts because they like the healing gift. Who wouldn't want that? You are the healer. Like, bam, bam, bam. Let's everybody rise up and walk. That'd be pretty amazing. But Peter's first reaction is, it's, don't look at me. Glorify God. Glorify Jesus. They're very one that you sinned against. Let me show you how if you repent to him, he fills your life. He restores all things. Peter immediately puts the focus back on Christ. Men of Israel, why do you wonder? Why do you stare? See, healing is meant to be a testimony of the goodness, of the power, of the love of God. Healing should always stir unbelievers to a belief in Christ. That's the purpose of it. That, honestly, that's the purpose of all spiritual gifts. Jared spoke about it a few weeks ago. What's the purpose of prophecy? Not so that we can all know our futures or, you know, read these. That's not what it's for. It's so that unbelievers could see God is doing something among us, and they would fall on their face and say, God's here. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. Not so that Christians have this really cool, super above-it-all life. And so everything's perfect, that every time one of us gets sick, so hey, let's keep ourselves alive. Let's pray in Jesus' name so that we're good. That's not what the purpose of healing is. Why, why don't we see healing happen as often today? What, we, we see this, we say, I'm, I'm preaching that the book of Acts is still ongoing. That it's still for us today. 
So let me ask, I know you're thinking, why do we not see these kind of things happen? Well, the first is that a lot of people have bought the lie that it stopped. There's no verse that says that healing has stopped. The only time we see that the gifts stop is when he comes and restores all things. Guess what? He hasn't done that yet. I believe he is still at work. He is still using us to heal the sick, to bring light, to be his ambassadors. Anybody agree with me this morning? That's a good place for an amen. I like, I like that. He is still desiring to use us to see the broken restored, to see the hurting healed. We sang that song this morning. I believe that you're my healer. I believe that you're all I need. But, but there are churches, and, I, and this is, we're talking about church unity this morning and tonight, but there are people who believe that it's all ended. But then why pray? Why do we still, at the very heart of us, and, and one of the core things about being a Christian is this mystical thing inside of us to pray, to encounter God, and that he would encounter us. That we could praise him, give him adoration, be stirred up by his spirit, and he would do something that we ask. Healing and God's work has not stopped. But some people have bought this lie that it stopped because it was only for the old church until they had a Bible written. Now that the Bible's written, God doesn't need to work anymore. No, I can look around and say there's a lot of people he still needs to work in. There's still healing. There's still brokenness that needs to take place. It's my first time in Africa, and some of you have heard this before. I had heard, and my whole life I grew up believing in, in prayer. I believed in miracles. And I saw, like, the, like, you know, you pray for somebody and they feel better, like, the next day. I had seen that multiple times. But I had never seen somebody who was seriously, seriously, seriously sick or hurt healed in front of me until I went to South Africa and we're at this, it was all by accident. We weren't even supposed to be in this peop- these people's house. And we're there. And this guy had, been, had a stroke, and he'd been paralyzed for three years. And I'm standing there, and they asked us to pray for him. And he's in his bed, and his, his wife and his kids are there. And so we start to pray. We pray for about 15, 20 minutes for him. Not that that's a magical number or anything. It's, it's just what we did. And he, he raised his, his left hand. Yeah, it was his, le- his left hand. And then he was able to move his left foot. And he was able to stand and get his hands up. The hand that was, that whole side of his body had been paralyzed for three years. His family is weeping. They're crying because they hadn't seen this in three years. When, when I'm 18 and I see that, I lay my hands on somebody and I pray. And I see them and their family weep and rejoice that God has all of a sudden done something that this guy hadn't been able to do in years. I saw that the, the daughter, the oldest daughter, two days later, and she said her dad was out looking for jobs because now he could actually work a job. Like, God still does miracles. God still does. He heals. And I wonder why, so this brings me to my second question. So if number one of why we don't see miracles in the U.S., number one is that we bought a lie that it stopped. The second thing is the question I hear all the time, well, why does it only seem to happen in third world countries? Why, why is that story Africa? And I have a few thoughts. These are my observations. These aren't, these aren't like written in the Bible anywhere. This is just what I would see. Number one, I, or my first thought is that in Africa, they don't struggle with the idea of the supernatural. In America, we're all too educated to believe in supernatural. But yet when the supernatural happens, we're confused and we're like, well, we've got to explain some other way. The supernatural is the whole essence of Christianity. You, either, you can't be a Christian and not believe in the supernatural. 
It's a supernatural change that happens when he takes a heart of stone, a sinner, and turns him into a saint. Not that I'm perfect by my actions, but I'm perfect in his sight through the blood of Christ. That's a supernatural, mystical experience. I've, I've recently been reading a lot of very conservative theologians who are talking about prayer, and they're talking, all these theologians keep coming back to prayer being a supernatural experience with God. It's supernatural, but yet somehow in America, we kind of, we like everything to be explained. We love to explain theology. We love to be able to pinpoint how we're so smart and we know how everything works. I was just talking to somebody about Trinity the other day, and I said, I can't really explain the Trinity. I can give you the concept. I don't know how it works, but I believe it because it's what I see in Scripture. And they're like, well, how can you believe something? It's called faith. I don't need to. If I could explain everything about God, then he really wouldn't be God. I would be pretty pretty much like God. (laughs) I'm not going to say I'd be God, but. It's supernatural. It's mystical. There's a mystical dimension that we live in, that God created a supernatural thing, and he also made the physical world. But my other thought, though, about this is why other countries see it a lot more, is because I feel like in America, we have turned the majority of prayer, and let's, let's be honest about this, the majority of the prayer that you see is from believers to believers. It's me and my other believing friends getting in a circle and making sure none of us have a cough or a cold this week. And I'm all for that. I'm not saying that. The Bible says if any of you are sick, go to the elders and ask them to lay hands on you and pray. It's healing happens in the church. But we've turned, in, in, in America, we've turned prayer into something that we don't walk down the street, see a sick man or a, a guy limping or a guy in a wheelchair and go, you know what, I, I feel this prompting, I should pray for you. I, I don't have anything to give you, but let me pray for you because Jesus has something to give you. When was the last time you've seen that in the United States? When was the last time that you've seen prayer from a believer to an unbeliever, unless he's your family member? Because we can all think, well, I had that uncle who was sick, and then I prayed. But how often do we see this spontaneous compulsion of, of the Holy Spirit saying, let, let me be told, let me, let me do something so that they can believe, so that they can know him? We love to do these prayer things in, in our churches, and I, I believe them. I want to do them. I'm all for it. But the purpose of prayer in church isn't so that we would pray and ask God to show us something so we could believe a little bit more that he already exists. It's not for that. I shouldn't be praying for you to get healed just so that I, like, my faith can be stirred and believe a little bit more. I already believe. I'm already convinced. If I didn't see another miracle for the rest of my life, I'm already convinced. I've seen, I've seen enough. I believe my heart's founded on the word. But unbelievers, they need it. They need God to interact with their life and to transform their life in a real practical way. This is the purpose of spiritual gifts. This is the purpose of healing. It's the primary purpose. Let's look back real quick here, and I'm wrapping up this morning. Look back at verse 9. We'll start there. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. He's sitting outside the temple. Everybody in the temple knew him. They all knew who he was. 
the people who were going to seek and pray after God, to love God, passed this guy in his brokenness every day. And they had grown accustomed. They had become used to his brokenness. And they did nothing about it other than give him money, probably. If they, if they didn't give him money, he probably wouldn't go back there the next day. I wonder how, as, new te- uh, as today's believers, do we see people in brokenness? We walk in and out of these doors, out of this church. We come and we ask for God to use us, to intervene in our lives, to speak through us, to change our hearts. How much of it do we come in and out of these doors and then we pass by somebody broken at the grocery store? We pass by somebody broken at the park. We pass by somebody broken at our work and we just become used to their brokenness. Well, they're not believers. They're not in the temple and, and I'm just used to them. They're always broken. Have we become callous to this? There are people, they're not sitting in front of our church, literally, but they're in front of our church and around this city that we pass by every day who, who, who've in a wheelchair, who are, who are sick, who are deaf, who are broken in their heart, who are depressed, who are whatever. And they need us to say, I don't have anything financial or monetary or, or physical to give you, but I do have the hope of Christ in me to give you. Let me pray for you. I was uh, just up in Buffalo um, a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to Jared and Aaron, um, and they, Jared was talking to me about how Aaron's really been trying to activate this in her life, like to really be on mission. And she was in, I think, Barnes and Nobles up there, and she saw a guy who had an old man who was deaf in both of his ears. Uh, he had hearing aids. So she, didn't, she didn't know he was deaf, other than the fact that he was wearing hearing aids. And so she really felt the Holy Spirit say, you should pray for him. You should pray for him. And so she walked up to him and she said, hey, sir, can I pray for you? And he goes, what? And she's like, can I pray for you? What? And she's like, I'm a Christian. I believe God can heal you. And after he understood it, he said, no, I think God wants me this way. And he didn't want her prayer. When we become the church, when we take this gospel, this, the commission to go out to heal the sick, to pray for the sick, to feed the poor, to, to evangelize, to make disciples. All we can do is be obedient to that. I can't guarantee you that people even want their brokenness fixed. Some people like their brokenness. Some people like the lifestyle of, I can beg for attention. It's okay. Some people are afraid of the idea of life and change. That's fine. All we can do, though, is say, Holy Spirit, are you doing something in my heart? Okay, I need to be obedient and pray for that person. Whether they want it, whether they get healed, whatever happens, all I need to do is be obedient for it. And that takes real self-sacrifice sometimes. That, this is a hard one for me to preach on. Because I, outside of this room, I am a natural introvert. I was the guy in class that hid in the back. So for me to walk up to somebody who's got a cane or that's hurt or whatever and say, hey, can I pray for you? That's a big struggle for me. But it's here, it's the commission. It's the example that I see. I'm not saying that every, the New Testament example is every person with a wheelchair that you ever see in your life you have to pray for. That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe, just like what we see here in Peter, there's this moment of like, Holy Spirit, you're speaking. And I'm not going to shake it off. I'm going to do something about it. There are people that I see that my heart is instantly grieved for. There's other people that are broken I don't even notice. They pass right by me. But I'm asking us as a church, are we aware when the Holy Spirit makes us stop and stare? When we look intently at brokenness, what do we do? 
I'm not going to tell you that every person is going to be healed. I'm not going to say that. And I, I'm not going to try to give you all kinds of answers and tell you about God's sovereignty versus, you know, our, our faith and all that stuff. I'm not going to get into that argument this morning. It's a big one. But all I know is that we have a responsibility to be that church today. To listen to the Holy Spirit and to ask for his healing. To trust that he has empowered us. We're going to get into that in the next few weeks. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit empowers normal people? That's the good thing about the gospel. Peter, we see it later, that Peter and John, they're not awesome, A-list, superstar. You know, I just went and saw the Avengers yesterday. These are not Captain America and Thor. They're picking up the iron hammer and smacking people. It's, It's not what happened. It was an awesome movie, by the way. I was excited, ready to get my cape on, fly around. Kidding, kidding. That's not what Peter and John were. They're average men who met with Jesus, were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and now they're supernatural. That's what we're supposed to be. Some won't get it. Some won't want to be healed. But still, we have to pray. We have to believe. We have to declare Christ. That's what our job is, to declare Christ. Christ.